Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Should we just... There we go. We can do this for now. All right, so it's starting in Genesis, and it's going throughout to Revelation. But here's the pinnacle. The pinnacle is Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection. That's what we're focusing on as we start in Genesis here. That's the, the, the pinnacle of history. And so in this Advent series, what we're doing is we're celebrating the most significant birth that has ever taken place throughout all history. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're celebrating. So last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent questions the word of God and, and he deceives Eve. In fact, the serpent made Eve question God as well and make her wonder if God was holding something back from her that was good. You see, he created all things good. He created Adam and Eve good and their relationship good. And then the serpent comes and he brings in this lie that there was something that God was holding back and holding something in the back that was good. And so it sowed the seed of discontent or discontentment or dissatisfaction for the good things that God had given them. They, they forgot about those things and to the one thing that they were not to have. Why is God holding back on us? And this leads to the fall of humanity, doesn't it? This is what we read in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree that was forbidden, their eyes were opened, and they were able to distinguish between good and evil like God. But because of that, there were several consequences for their actions. And we still live with these consequences today. In Genesis chapter 3, Three, God brings judgment on all parties that were involved in this, in this fall. He declares that there will be enmity, or another word is conflict, right? Trials and, and pain and suffering as a result of their sin. So just to recap really quick, this is what it looks like. There's, and I'm going to use the word enmity, enmity uh, throughout, but it's, it's enmity with the world, Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so we experience this all the time. In fact, uh, Dave, Dave should be in here. Dave was just telling me he spent 10 hours raking leaves yesterday. And, and the reason why I asked about it is because when he got up from Sunday school class, I heard this, oh, this ache from this work and toil that he had to do. So it's not just raking leaves or shoveling snow. We, we are in enmity with the world. There's tornadoes and earthquakes and, dare I say, blizzards. That's sometimes what we get to experience living in Michigan, right? 
So there's this conflict that we have or this enmity with the world, but there's also enmity in relationships. So Genesis 3.16, you shall desire your desire, and this is towards the wife, your desire, the desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That is a perfect picture of conflict, isn't it? And in one of the most important relationships you can have with another human being, a conflict with your spouse. But that is just an image. That is just a picture of the conflicts we have in relationships, whether it's with your spouse or with others in your family or with friends or in uh, working relationships. We have relational conflicts all over, and it started in Genesis chapter 3. We also have enmity with our own bodies by the sweat of our face. This is a verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So you remember what God warned Adam and Eve. If they ate from the fruit, the tree that they were forbidden from, they would surely die and this is exactly what takes place our bodies break down after a while they start to slow down the aches and pains do come eventually we all have to face death enmity with our own bodies remember um, also here's the last it's enmity with the serpent or satan or the evil one because of sin. Genesis 3.15, I will put, this is speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is a very important verse. If anything in this series, this is the one to circle. This is the one to underline. Because in our series, this is the question we are asking. Who is the one who will remedy the problem? Who is the one that's going to be the, the serpent crusher? Because you see, in this curse or, or in this um, judgment, there is that promise that the head of the serpent will be crushed someday. And so as we continue to look through Genesis to the end of chapter 11, instead of finding this serpent crusher, when we read chapters 3 through 11, we don't see the serpent crusher coming. There's hopes of it through 3 and 11, but it never comes. Definitely, what it, what it does do is it shows us the severity of sin. That's exactly what those chapters do, the severity of sin. So when you look at someone like Cain, Cain was definitely not the one, was he? Nor was Abel, who was killed by his brother, nor was Seth the one that took the place of Abel. Now, Noah looked promising, didn't he? He was a righteous man among uh, all these people who were in sin. And when God decided to put judgment upon the world and bring the flood that destroyed everything, he decided to save Noah. He protected him. It was with Noah's family whom God restarted creation and human flourishing, but yet we read that Noah was fallen as well. He was a sinful man as well. He too fell. 
And this brings us to our text today, Genesis chapter 12. And it's a very important chapter in all of Scripture because I think this is the chapter where we see the direction change, the direction of sin and depravity, the severity of it that we see through chapters 3 through 11, this downward spiral of human depravity, it changes to a a trajectory towards redemption. A trajectory towards redemption. The story of humanity changes in this chapter as God reveals himself to a man named Abram. Now, we know him as Abraham. We always call him Abraham, but when he first encounters God, his name is Abram. So, I apologize, but I'm probably going to be going back and forth. Abram, Abraham, same guy, okay? So just go along with me on that. But he calls, God calls Abram out to follow him. He says to go. And in this calling, God makes this covenant promise. Covenant promise. I want you to remember those two words because they are significant. They are important for us to understand that God makes this covenant promise with this man named Abram that will eventually culminate into the birth of the serpent crusher. It begins here in chapter 12. This is God's plan to reverse the curse. And this plan involves a covenant promise which he gives to this man named Abram. So with that, we're going to read what this all entails, this covenant promise, what it all entails So let's do that now. Would you stand with me? You can open your Bibles and follow along. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan, where they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we approach your word, we ask that the Spirit would be with us, that that. He would work in our hearts, in our minds, that we may understand and grasp the wonder of Jesus being born. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
I was a little slow on that. All right, so there's a lot going on in this passage. And it starts with the Lord. He's calling out Abram to follow him. And we see, we see that God initiates this relationship. Abram's not looking for God. It's God that finds Abram, reaches out to him. God initiates the relationship. He gives the call, and he will even lead the way. So look at verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. So that's the command, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God is going out before Abram. He gives this word, tells him to follow. Abram hears the word, and by faith he does follow God. And we see this in verse 5. It says, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and they had get, that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then we see this. So Abraham is faithful. He follows. And then in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Notice that after, after Abram follows the Lord and makes it to the land of the Canaanites, God gives Abraham or Abram a promise. It's a promise that his offspring will be given this land. And you know what? Owning land is a good thing. And being given land by God is a significant thing. Land is good. It's vital for survival. It's important if you really think about it. And when it comes to society, even in our day, how important land is. In fact, this land is later described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land flowing with milk and honey that God is promising to Abraham, which is in contrast to if you go back to Genesis 3, right? Cursed is the ground that's going to produce for you what? Thorns and thistles. So Adam and Eve are kicked out of this land that produces all this wonderful fruit and food. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and now they have to toil with this land that's going to produce thorns and thistles. And now, fast forward to chapter 12 in this promise, God promises a land that won't produce thorns and thistles, but will have milk and honey. So you see that there's a connection here, isn't there? There's this allusion back to the Garden of Eden when God promises this land. And so here's the question then, wait a minute, God is doing something here. This is the beginning of this reversal, it looks like, where he's, he's leading Abram out to potentially inherit this land that is like Eden. Is Abram the head crusher? Is Abram the one? That's the question, right? You see, not only does God promise this Eden-like land to Abram and his descendants, but he says he will bless Abram, and he sets Abram apart in a unique way. So look at verse 3. 
At the beginning of verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Now, I, I mentioned this in uh, Sunday school class because this one really jumped out at me because this is a promise or this is a blessing given to Abraham uniquely, right? All the other promises that we're looking at in this passage, it's, it's more in the future. It's more about his offspring. This one pertains to the man himself. So if you were in Abram's shoes and all of a sudden God reveals himself to you and he gives you this promise, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Think of God spoke those words to you. How, what kind of effect would that have on you? That you are God's man or woman, that he has your back. What does that do? For me, the one word that I think of is confidence or boldness, especially when it comes to what God has called you to do or to be. If we knew that God was behind us, boy, that should come, that should give us boldness, should it not? So basically what God is telling Abram is, I, you are my man, I have your back. And here's the thing, not only does he promise land, not only does God have his back, but more importantly, he promises Abram that he's going to be a great blessing. Genesis, this is the uh, Genesis 12, verse 3, this is the last portion of verse 3. He says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Underline that phrase, star it, circle it, highlight it. This is huge. That in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise to Abram. It's distinct from all the other promises. When it comes to the promise of land, there are some conditions that come along with it. In order for them or his offspring to keep the land, they must keep the law. So we have to kind of fast forward to the time of Moses when Moses takes uh, the people of Israel, which are Abraham's descendants, his offspring, takes them out of Egypt and he brings them out and, and they're forming a nation, right? And in order to have a nation, there's a few requirements. They have to have land, which was promised to them, but also to function as a society, they have to have laws. So before they get to the land, they stop, and God gives, through Moses, gives the people the law. And if you read about this in Exodus, we actually talked about this in, um, in T.M. Pharrell, that what happened is, is Moses writes down this law given by God, and, and he writes it down, and then he has the people in front of him, and, and he starts to read the law to the people. And after he reads the entire law, the people, will res they respond in this way. We will obey. We will obey everything that was just given to us. Moses said, oh, really? They said, yep. And so what does Moses do? He sacrifices a lamb. He takes the blood. He takes part of it. He puts it in a basin. He puts some on the altar. And then he actually um, um, sprinkles blood upon the people. And he makes this statement, this is the blood of the covenant that is given. 
remember those words. This is the blood of the covenant given. Because we're actually going to hear those words again when we take communion. But he makes that statement. So there's this covenant that takes place between the people of God and God himself concerning this land. And it's basically this. You will, I'm going to give you this land, but you, um, in order for you to keep this land, you have to obey these laws. And guess what happens? We all know this. They cannot keep the laws. They, too, fall short. They, too, fall short. All right, so back to, back to our passage. Basically, what I'm saying here is, is when it comes to the land, this promise of land, there's a condition attached to it, at least with keeping the land. There's a condition t- attached to it. That's, there's something different. The other promise given to Abraham pertains to Uh, Abraham specifically, that God will bless those who bless Abram and God will curse those who dishonors Abram. And that one is temporal, isn't it? Because that one will only last as long as Abram lives. We know that he dies. And so this part of the promise ends with the death of Abram. However, when it comes to the promise that all the families of the earth shall be blessed, that portion of that promise, we see that it spans far beyond the lifetime of Abram, and it involves something far greater than the establishment of a nation or a parcel of land. This promise right here is significant. It is different. It is distinct from the others. This is the glimmer of hope, the glimmer of hope That someday in the future, through the seed or offspring of Abram, the curse will be reversed. All this covenant promise, this, this covenant promise of families of the earth being blessed is repeated throughout Genesis. It's in Genesis 18 Genesis 22, Genesis 26, uh, Genesis 28. God continually reminds Abram of this covenant promise. So is Abraham the one? Is he the serpent is he the serpent crusher? God makes Abraham great, yes. He does. He makes him great, but he is still just a fallible sinful man who makes mistakes. Right? We know this examples of this Um, He takes matters into his own hands and acquires a son outside of his marriage with Sarah, doesn't he? He's saying, in order to uh, fulfill this promise, I think I need to help God. We know that is not true. Abraham is not the one. So perhaps it's his offspring. Maybe it's Isaac. But you know what? Isaac is fallible too. He makes mistakes. You know, there's at one point he's traveling and and he goes to this king, this land uh, where King Abimelech um, uh, of the Philistines, um, he enters into that land and he's scared. He's afraid. He doesn't think God has his back. And so he lies to Abimelech when it comes to his wife and he calls her his sister, right? That's not a good thing especially if he did that in front of her. When we, call, when we talk about enmity between spouses, there it is right there, right? 
So Isaac falls short as well. Jacob, we think maybe perhaps Jacob is the one. He is blessed by his father, and he's also blessed by the Lord. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. This looks promising. Yet we know that Jacob did not hold up to the standard of the, of, that was needed for the serpent crusher as well. He was also fallible and sinful. He deceived. He was known as the deceiver. Yes, God gave this covenant promise to Abraham. He blessed Abraham and his descendants. But the problem of sin continues. It continues from generation to generation. And no one is able to live up to the standard required to be this serpent crusher. No one is able to reverse the curse. Even Joseph, the son of Jacob, falls short, doesn't he? Joseph is the most promising of them all. Joseph remained faithful to the Lord throughout his life. He's given visions by God and great wisdom. He ends up becoming the second in command over all of Egypt. He even, he even blesses the nation of Egypt, doesn't he? When the famine comes, through his wisdom, he's, they save up food, and so he blesses Egypt, he saves their lives and makes them wealthy, it almost, it almost fulfills the promise, right? Except for it's not just one nation that's going to be blessed, is it? It's going to be all nations. All families of all nations will be blessed. So Joseph doesn't measure up as well. In fact, you know what happens with Joseph? He too dies. He's buried in Egypt and his bones remain. That's where his bones remain. Joseph is not the one. From dust to dust he was made, from dust to dust he returned, and that's like every single one of us as well. Throughout the line of Abraham, throughout the line of humanity, we see that clearly. None of us measure up. And the end, death, will have victory over us. Or so we think. All of Abraham's offspring, all those generations, they, they fall short. However, we know that God remains faithful, does he not? He remains faithful to his covenant promise. We see this in Romans chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, he's, he, um, here Paul is talking about the Jews and the generation of Israel. He says this, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? What is, what is so valuable of coming from the line of Abraham where this promise came? Paul says much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God or the word of God, Okay. But what if some were unfaithful, right? And we just looked at that. Some, they were faithful at times, but at other times they were unfaithful. Does their unfaithfulness or their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? That's a, kind of a sarcastic question, right? Because the answer is no. God remains faithful. Even though we fall short, God remains faithful to his promises. 
he promises that there will be an offspring, one who would make things right, who would crush the serpent's head and reverse the curse that is established way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we know that this one, this one, the serpent crusher, is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus who was born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. This is the one who is to come. And so here's the wonderful thing of what Genesis chapter 12 is doing. This covenant promise, it's it's almost unclear, isn't it? It's this promise that of a blessing, and, and what does that mean, this blessing? And so what God is doing here is he, he is unraveling this plan. He is revealing this plan, but he's doing it slowly. He's giving us, in chapter 12, just a little bit of information, and then it's going to continue on and reveal a little bit more and reveal a little bit more. But here's the wonderful thing about it. What he is revealing to us should not make us depressed, right? It's not that downward spiral of sin, even though we'll continue to see sin throughout this story. But what he is revealing to us is this hope, this hope that points to this one offspring, the serpent crusher. And so it's kind of like this image. It's like uh, what he's giving us is shadows or signs of what is to come. So here's the example or illustration that I have of this. Um, so long ago, many moons ago, this was when uh, my oldest son, who is now 18, probably when he was like, I don't know, maybe four or five years old, we lived in Three Oaks, and we lived on the other side of the tracks. Um, literally, in the sense that whenever we went home, we had to go over the tracks, the rail, railroad tracks, and Aiden loved trains. And so what we would do, what he would do is he would, anytime we would cross over the tracks, he would look down because uh, like a quarter or half a mile down the track was this um, signal. And it was either red or green. And I don't know if this is true or not, but when it was red, we just thought, hey, no train. But when it was green, it was this idea, oh, the train's going to be coming soon. And so anytime the when that light was green, Aiden would be like, ah, Dad, the train's coming. Can we wait? Can we stop? Can we wait? And I was like, oh, I don't even know if, that, if it's even going to come. But we would stop and we would wait. And so it's this picture that what God has done throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, starting in chapter 12 here, is he's giving us these signals. It's these green lights. And they're pointing to something, saying something is coming, something is coming, something is coming. And we know what that is. It's not something, right? It's someone. So that's what's going on here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Paul is, is arguing a point here. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, and here we go, here's that covenant promise. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. Who is that offspring? It is who is Christ, right? It is 
Christ. This covenant promise given to Abraham is a vehicle or a signal. It's a green light that will point us to or drive us to the serpent crusher, the one who's going to reverse the curse. And here's the call for us then. It is to take hope, to take hope in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the answer to the curse. He is the serpent crusher. He is the offspring promised to Abraham long ago. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, those who are of faith, are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. The man of faith. You see, God calls out Abram. He gives him a promise. And so what does Abram, Abram do or Abraham do? In faith, he follows the Lord. He follows the call. And in the same way, that is what we are called to do as well. God has given us a promise. In Genesis chapter 12, it's a little vague. It's a little misty. It's, it's hard to see. It's hard to understand. But we have the full revelation of what it means, do we not? Jesus was born. He lived. He died. He sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. He gave atonement by his blood and by his body. He gave atonement for our sins. And here's the wonderful thing, because he just didn't die. But he rose again, defeating death, defeating the curse. He was the one that reversed the curse, the curse of death. And so now, those of us who put our trust and our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, death has no victory. Death has no sting. Amen? This is something that we get to remember as we take communion together. Because you see it in the elements, I'll explain it now because we're going to wrap up, but in the elements of the, of the bread and, the, and, the, and the, the wine or the juice, it represents God's body and his blood and, and his death. And here's the wonderful thing. It's not just to reflect upon his death, like remembering that someone has died, right? We do things often, those who we lost, that we love, there's things that we may do to remember them. This isn't just remembering death and Jesus' death. It's remembering what his death did for us. Atone for our sin. He reversed the curse for us. Jesus, our Savior. And so the call this morning is to put our faith in him and to also rejoice Rejoice during this time of the Advent season because what we're celebrating is, is the birth of Jesus, the one that has done this 
wonderful work for us that has saved us from our sin that we too may have eternal life. That's what we get to celebrate this Advent series, um, this Advent time together. Amen. Let's pray together and have the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself throughout the scriptures, throughout time and history, and this particular event where you revealed yourself to Abraham, giving him these promises that you were faithful to. And in that time, in the time of, of Israel, in the time of Abraham, it was unclear where this would lead. But what was unclear then is very clear for us now where it leads to. It leads to Jesus Christ. So, Father, this is why we are here. This is why we worship you. This is why we gather as your church. It's all because of what Jesus has done. So, Lord, we thank you, and we, we thank you that we get to celebrate and to remember and to be strengthened in our faith as we partake in communion. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.